Well, we've had a lot of singing tonight. Let me remind you about picking up your uh, Christmas cards at the Madison Baptist Church Christmas Post Office. And uh, right out there, pick them up tonight after the service. Uh, they'll be available through Wednesday. After Wednesday, whatever's left will just go where all undelivered cards go. Okay. Uh, let me ask a question. How many here, when you got saved... Uh, your home, before you got saved, your home was not a Christian home. You got saved out of a non-Christian home. Raise your hand. How many here got saved out of a non-Christian home? All right. Well, that's probably, what, about 30%, I think. Maybe close to that. Maybe 35%. So, I'm assuming that the rest of you got saved out of a Christian home. Uh, how many were in a Christian home, but you didn't get saved while you lived in that Christian home? Raise your hand. Uh-huh, that's quite a few. Isn't that something? You know, I confess probably one of, my, one of my real shortcomings as a pastor has been this. I really have never had a whole lot of patience with people brought up in Christian homes who don't have a love for God and love for His Word because I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. And my greatest regret in my life is that I didn't get saved sooner. And I think of young people brought up in a Christian home where they heard the gospel. They sang the songs that mean so much to my heart today and had no, have no appreciation for what they've got in having a Christian mom and dad. They think they got it bad because they can't do all the things everybody else does. And they're just looking. They can't wait to get away from home so that they can be shed of all the, the rules and the cleanliness and the holiness and be in the world. I just don't, I've never had any patience for that. Isn't that right? Never had any patience for that. I'm, I'm a patient man with some things, but I'm not, I've not been patient with that. And I admit that. And I know some people think that makes me hard. I just think, no, I, man, when I know what I got saved out of, I just can't imagine coming from a Christian home and not appreciating what you have and having a saved mom and dad that love the Lord Jesus Christ now, admittedly, teenagers brought up in Christian homes have no idea what they've been spared from. And they will have no idea until they get messed up with it, and then they mess up their own homes, and it never had to be that way. What a terrible shame that is. For it didn't have to be that way. Well, this is good. On Christmas Day, we have church. It'll be probably another six years before that'll happen again. If it happens in six years, I'm, I look at the calendar to see how that's going to work out. But uh, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. There have been a lot of Christmases when I have not preached a Christmas message around Christmas. And it used to be that Christmas and Easter were the two biggest days of the church that's no longer the case. A lot of churches are closed on Christmas Day now and are closed on Christmas Sunday. Whether it happens to be actual Christmas on that Sunday or not, it's amazing how many at least close their Sunday evening services. Uh, things have changed dramatically. And I thought, well, if some people only go to church on Christmas and Easter, then they need to hear something different. Because all they're getting is the holiday message and they need to get a lot more. Now, I preached two Christmas messages last week and I preached one this morning and I'm going to preach another one tonight. 
So I'm making up for a few of the years when I didn't bring a Christmas message over Christmas. Uh, This will not be a long message tonight, and we're going to have the Lord's Supper when we're done with this, because as the song said, he was born to die, and the Lord's Supper is about his death, being reminded of what he did in coming to die for our sins at Calvary. I want you to notice in Luke chapter 2 and verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary as his spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, heaven, or with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. If I was to title this message tonight, it would probably be this, the day after Christmas. The day after Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I plead tonight again for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. And I pray, Father, you'd take the thoughts that are shared tonight, the challenges that are shared tonight, and challenge our hearts that the day after Christmas we be a better people, a different people, and affected people because of the truth of this great day. And Lord, we'll thank you as you move upon our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think one of the good things about Christmas time, even as much as it's commercialized and a whole lot of it really has nothing to do with the Christ of Christmas at all. I mean, they have made it a secular holiday to be sure. As a matter of fact, I read an article today that uh, there's a university over in the UK that was saying Christmas ought to be done away with because it smacks too much of Christianity. Well, Well, without Christ... There'd have been no reason for a Christmas anyway. But the truth is, it smacks way too much of paganism and hedonism than it does, of course, Christianity. 
there are some things about the first Christmas that we can see a little bit in common with today. Uh, we had, as we read about here in the story, the angels were singing. Uh, so the air was filled with Christmas music. And, you know, you go to the stores, you hear a lot of different Christmas music. That's kind of similar uh, to today. Uh, they had the shepherds visiting. So that's kind of the local friends stopping by at Christmas. And, of course, we have people stop by at Christmas to joy with us in the presence that we shared with one another. And then you've got the wise men coming in from out of town, but they're not there on that day. As a matter of fact, they're kind of the relatives that come in there and they get there when they get there and they're there for a little while and then they leave. So they, and when they left was not the day after Christmas because the day after Christmas, they hadn't even showed up yet. We're still, they were still waiting for the flights to come through O'Hare. But, uh, there's an interesting note here. It says in verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. After the shepherds had visited the baby, they returned. Now, they were glorifying God, guaranteed. They weren't stuck, after all, being out in the fields with the sheep after this would seem rather dull in comparison to what they had just been through. But things were a little bit different. The uh, shepherds returned to their flocks, though, and the angels silenced their singing, at least on earth. And the wise men, of course, when they finally did get there and left, they had that long trip to make back home. And it seems like everybody forgot about the holy night. The shepherds returned, as did everybody else, all except Mary and Joseph. Think of the special night for them. And the next day, the next day, everything would be different in their life from that time on. Things would never be the same again for Mary and Joseph. Now, here's the premise of the message. Now that Christmas is almost over, will you simply return to life as normal? Or but will you allow the message of the Christ coming to earth to die for your sins, to give you eternal life, to cleanse you, to have a place prepared for you in heaven as he would go to the cross, pay our sin debt, be raised from the dead three days later. We allow the true message of Christmas to impact your life to be different. All of us who've had children know that the birth of a baby definitely changes things. I'll tell you what, for Christian homes, one of the things you find out, it takes them so much longer to get to church to get all the bags and bottles ready for the nursery. Isn't that right? It's never the same after you have that baby as what it was going to church before you had that baby. They can never be the same after they've had a child born into their family. And while when a baby is born, many people come to see the little child. They visit the hospital. They go home and mom and dad are still there with the baby. And they've got to take care of the baby. They get to know the baby, learn the baby, learn its ways, and hopefully teach them some of the ways that they should go. Only the parents come away being totally changed when a baby is born. Now, I know sometimes it's the grandparents who think they're the ones that have been tremendously changed. But usually they're not the ones that are waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to take care of that child. It's the parents that have to fool with that. I look back on my first Christmas Back in 1971. So I have had, does that make 50, 52 Christmases? Because the first one was 1971. 
We had gotten saved just before Christmas. And uh, that was really my first Christmas. I had no idea what Christmas was about. I had no idea it was about the Christ coming to this earth to die for my sins. I had no idea. But once I met Christ as my Savior, from that point on, it has been a different time for me and for my family. So when we consider our visit with Christ this Christmas, we ought to spend some time thinking about the one who is our Lord, our Savior, our Master, the King of Kings. And we ought to be different when we leave this place. Do you realize there's still a world out there of people dying and going to hell? Now, I read a verse as we went through this where it says in verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be, notice this, to all people. Calvinists don't believe that. To the Calvinists, this is only good for a few people. It's not good for everybody, but according to the scripture, it's good for all people. Why? Because God has provided a way to heaven for sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Hallelujah. And for all the lost, it's the same. Jesus is the only Savior. Well, getting back to Mary and Joseph. They never did return from seeing Jesus. They were with him. The, at Christmas night, when they first saw Jesus, it was only the beginning for them. Now, we know that since Mary and Joseph had gotten special word from the Lord, that they knew that this was the Redeemer. But imagine, I mean, think about it. For any parent having a child... There are a lot of things that you're concerned about. There's a lot of things you don't know. It's, you know, it's interesting. For instance, you, that first child that comes along, you're, you're afraid you're going to break it. And you're so careful with it. You know, you got to support its neck whenever you pick it up. And by the time you have your third or fourth child, you just carry them around in your arm and they're flopping around. You know, they're Okay. You know, when they had that first time where they're hungry in the middle of the night and you go and you, man, you get the bottle and you go and you feed them and you're so careful with them. By the time of the third child, you're saying, hey, it's in the fridge. Get it yourself. <laughs> it's different with that first child. And I got to meditating about them with Jesus because he is the child that everybody wanted. He's the perfect child. I'll bet he slept through the night the first night. I mean, the perfect child never disobeyed mom and dad. Never. Never sassed back, never talked back. Always did what he was supposed to do. Man, the perfect child. None of us had a perfect child. Oh, we said they were, but we all know better because they weren't. When I met Jesus, now they meant him as a little baby. I meant him as my redeemer. I meant him as my savior. I didn't meet him as a babe in a manger. I meant him as the king of kings who would purchase my salvation. And I trusted him as my savior 
And he not only forgave my sins, he gave me eternal life. And we started on a journey together. Actually, I started on a journey with him, and I had been without him for those first 22 years of my life. Ever since that time, the relationship has grown. And for those of you who have children that are getting a little older, you have to admit your relationship with your child has changed over the years. And it's bound to happen. They've gotten smarter. They've gotten sneakier. Isn't that right? But you know, there's something. Uh, babies are cute. But there's something about where they can take those little hands and put them up to your face and say, I love you, Daddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't care what they've done. You just can't beat that for precious. Isn't that right? Or I love, unless, of course, you're a mommy. Then if they're saying, I love you, Daddy, that might cause a little concern. But <clears throat> come on, think with me now. This is Christmas Day. But ever since that time I met him, my relationship with him has grown. I'd like to think that I've drawn closer and closer to him. But I haven't arrived yet, not even close. Even the Apostle Paul said he hadn't arrived yet. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what's amazing is he's sitting in a jail cell and, and in Rome, writing back to the Philippians, and he is bearing his heart. He talks about some decisions that he had made. He said, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. And then in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, he cries that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Now, let me ask you tonight, child of God. Do you want to know him better than you know him right now? After 30 years, Paul did. With all this service, all that he had spent for Christ, all that he had suffered for Christ, God had given him scripture. He had written scripture, and yet he says, I want to know him better. Now, we all, I think, would say, yeah, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Not many of us want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's really getting to know him. Being made conformable unto his death. You see, the closer he got to Jesus, the deeper he wanted to know Christ. Paul was a different man after that day he first got saved. As he applied himself to walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't a visit to a manger. It wasn't just, oh, I've met him now, that's interesting. I'll come back and see you once in a while. It was a life wholly given over to him. And that's a life that counts. I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 2, 
when John writes and he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I left off part of a verse. He says, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But the world's got so much, so much cool stuff. And today with technology, we've even got cooler stuff than any generation of people have ever had. And I'm not saying you've got to throw all the technology away. I'm just simply saying it's amazing what we are willing to give over to technology so that we don't have to spend much time. Our service to him doesn't take us away from all the fun stuff. And when you no longer have to forsake the world, but you embrace it, guaranteed you have lost that close walk with God. There was a time when Mary and Joseph realized Jesus wasn't with them. They had gone up, they'd gone up to the feast. Jesus at that time was 12 years of age. And when they left to go back to Nazareth, Jesus wasn't with them. Now, they didn't catch it right away. I don't have any doubt that, that Joseph probably felt that Jesus was with Mary and the women in their caravan or whatever you would call it, that they, entourage where they were headed back to Nazareth. And no doubt Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph. They went a whole day. And they both thought Jesus was someplace, but they figured someplace with them. Now, here's the thing for Mary and Joseph. When they realized that he wasn't with them, they went back to find him as soon as he could. There are times in our Christian walk when we get so caught up in different things that are going on, it might be a job, it might be family situation, it might mean uh, just trying to get through life, that we wake up and where's the joy gone? Why do we have to kind of work at going to church and we've got to leave as soon as we can after church because we've got important things to do. Church has become an obligation and we're there. But we're not there out of a love for Jesus. When Mary and Joseph, I'm just saying, when they realized that Jesus wasn't with them like he had been, they went back to get him. They went back to find him. They went back to where they lost him. Now, I know God doesn't lose us. Thank the Lord for that. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. But the reality is sometimes our hearts get cold and what's a shame is there are times we might go for months before we even recognize, hey, it's not like it was. What's wrong? May I say that the problem is never with him. The problem is always with us. And we need to go back to where we left him. And draw close to him again. His presence in our walk and in our life ought to be paramount. I've referred to this passage of scripture often in Revelation chapter 2. 
in the first of the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. Their author is Jesus Christ. Each one of these letters. Now, we're introduced to this at the end of chapter 1 when he says in verse 19, Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. He's talking to John. And then he says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven churches which thou sawest I'm sorry, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Then he says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now what are the candlesticks? They're the churches. Who walks in the midst of the church? Jesus Christ. For people who say the church is not important, these are people totally ignorant of what the Bible teaches about the church. Because it's not only called the body of Christ and it's not only called the, the uh, bride of Christ, but we find that Jesus is in the midst of the church. And he has a message for each of these seven churches, but this one at Ephesus is the one that really gets to me when he says in verse 2, I know thy works. And thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. So as he writes to this church at Ephesus, and he says, I know your works, and these first things that he says to them, they are all tremendous. I mean, it's not just a good church, it appears to be a great church. This is not a church that is getting by on good fellowship with the believers. This is a church that is dedicated and sold out to God. Notice how they say it again. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. This is a church that was dedicated to sound doctrine. And if they had a preacher come in or a, a pastor come in that was not sound in doctrine, they turned them out. They stood for truth. Truth was paramount. And then it says, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Now, that's all great. This is a great church. I imagine as this church is hearing this letter from Jesus Christ himself, that they're thinking, we're pretty special. But then he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Wow, now wait a second. He has somewhat again. It can't be too bad. Can it be too bad? It can't be too bad. Is he just telling him to, hey, do a little inventory here. Straighten yourself up a little bit. It'll be okay. I mean, these people are knocking themselves out in their service for God. They're really knocking themselves out. 
He says, you've left your first love. You notice he doesn't say that thou hast lost thy first love. He says, you left it. The love's not there. They're still fundamental. I mean, they are still right down the line. They're still working hard. They're still running the buses. They're still going out and knocking on doors. They're still serving, trying to reach people at Ephesus. They're doing all of that. But something's happening here. So then he says this, and it's this next verse that lets you know how serious this situation is. For he says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Do you remember a time when you were closer to God than you are now, when your zeal for him, your love for him was more than it is now? He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and what? Repent. Now, you've heard me say many times, repent is a good Bible word. And the reality is the word repent is used far more with regards to saved people than what it is to lost people. Now, it is used for lost people too, but it's used far more for saved people than it is for lost people in the Scripture. So he says, and repent and do thy first works. What are your first works? When you first got saved, what did you do because you just got excited about the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you? You were just so appreciative that you've been forgiven, that you belong to him, that heaven is your home. And and, and you just did things. Now, there are things that I did when I first got saved that that I don't do now and won't do now. I mean, we we just fell in love with Jesus right away. And one of the things that we did was, man, I saw a bunch of, Cool bumper stickers. You know, things go better with Jesus. Jesus, the real thing. And I mean, I was, I was new in the faith, man. I didn't know any better. And so, man, we put bumper stickers on our bumper, you know, and some others that I can't remember. Of course, then I heard a preacher one day say, uh, you know, it's a terrible thing to compare Jesus to Coca-Cola. Oh. So that's why I say I wouldn't do that now. I wouldn't take those bumper stickers and put them on my car. But that's how excited I was about Jesus for people to know about him. And although I don't believe he's telling me here to go back to bumper stickers, I do believe he's telling me you better get that excitement back. I can remember laying in bed and hearing the song sung I want, uh, that we sang tonight, the one that I requested. Uh, what, what was that song I requested? No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I can remember playing that song on the record player. Some of you adults teach your kids what a record player was, okay? Uh, on the record player, at, while I lay in the bed at night before I went to sleep, and I would lay there and just weep. Just overcome knowing that he, think to think that he would love me, the sinner like he did to die for me at Calvary. It's amazing. There were a lot of things I did that were kind of scary to do. You know, the first time you go out and knock on a door to try to tell someone about Jesus, but, but you do it because, well, as Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. I, I just want people to know about him. He says, repent and do thy first works, and then underline in this verse, or else. 
And with that or else, we find out how serious of a matter this is. If your love for Jesus isn't what it used to be, here is the or else. He says, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Well, what's the candlestick? Yeah, he's, he says, you repent, get back to your first or else, I'll take your church out. Do you understand that God does not need us? It's by his grace that we are able to serve him. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It is a privilege to serve him. It is a privilege to live for him. It is a privilege to witness for him. It is a privilege to give for him. Do you realize that we, we don't give any God? With, with our offerings, we don't give God anything that's going to make him any richer than he already is. He doesn't need my offering. Then why do you give it? Well, because I love him. He saved me. And it's his. And I think, it, I believe... It shows our faith in him. I remember before I got saved, I used to think I, nobody say nobody possibly ties. I mean, I can't believe you'd just take 10% of your income and just give it to God. How can you do that with all the government takes out and live? Now, when I got saved and then I got surrendered to him in that matter, I'd be scared to death not to tithe. And I'd be embarrassed if I only tithe, I mean, a tithe, that's just the beginning, man. Why? Because I love him. Or else I'll remove thy candlestick. I wonder how many buildings are out there uh, where churches used to be in them that were on fire for God and today... They're not even meeting because God took it out. When we talk about church planning, and I do believe that the heart of missions is in planning local New Testament churches, but God doesn't need just another church. He wants another church that's going to love him. Put him first. Now, we don't have any trouble loving our children But for some reason, we get so caught up in the things that are around us and the things that we're doing that we find ourselves going through the motions and doing things just because, well, this is what you're supposed to do. We're not doing it because we love him. And God says, remember the way it used to be. Get back to it or else. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, I, I wish that there were some special words that I would know how to say to make this clearer and a challenge to each one of us. I know, Lord, I have this trouble in my own life. And just as Mary and Joseph, when they found that Jesus wasn't with them, they went back to where they left him. They went back to be with him. 
God, I pray that tonight for any who have gotten caught up in whatever and they recognize that their walk with you is not like it used to be. It's not out of a heart and passion and zeal for you and your word and your nearness and your presence and your service. God, please, I pray tonight that we would end this Christmas day right with you and on fire for you. Have your way in our lives tonight, I pray, as we allow the Spirit of God to search out our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name.